talk a lot about Jesus and what he came to do, because that's what our faith is all about. In this series called Blood and Guts, we're doing a deep dive into the book of Hebrews to see how Jesus connects to the Old Testament and what that means for our lives today. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Have you ever gotten off the hook for something? Have you ever gotten off the hook for something where you, you know you like deserved to be punished? You know what I'm talking about? Everyone, I think, has been there. Can you think of something? I'm thinking, like, when I was in first grade, I apparently had a potty mouth. And yes, I said first grade, kindergarten. I know, it's hard to imagine me that way. Um, I can distinctly remember this friend of mine named Nicole. And Nicole had an older sister. Nicole's older sister taught her a word. And that word began with F. And I didn't have an older sibling. So, yes, French fries, yeah. So when she came to school and spelled that word out for me, I just said it. And I didn't, it didn't sound like a word, so I just kept saying it. And I just didn't believe her. I was, I was like really gullible at many tar- parts of my childhood, but not at this moment. I was like very confident that this F word was not a word because I'd never heard it before. So when I said it out loud, she had this like worried look on her face. I was like, what? It's not a word. And so I just continued to say it. And uh, can you believe that Nicole went to Mrs. Kramer and she told on me, she had the nerve to come to school, teach me this word, get me to say it, and then narc on me for saying it. What a monster. I think she's doing okay now, but... At the time, we're not happy with Nicole. So earlier in the school year, I had told another kid that he was going to hell if he didn't love Jesus, and uh, not something I would recommend. <laughs> but um, this, so this was my second offense, <laughs> and so at this point, I got sent to the principal's office for my swearing <laughs> in first grade. So I went to the principal's office, and I got a stern talking to. There may have been a detention; I don't really remember, but I do remember a stern talking to. And and young Pastor Chris, as a first grader, I put and I still do. I put a lot of. Um, value on authority. And so, like, you know, like, some people, when they just, like, talk to authority figures, they just cry. Like, it doesn't even have to be mean or, uh, like, a negative situation. Just, like, talking to a stern person, I'm going to cry. I was very much like that. And so I had a rough time in the principal's office. And the principal said, all right, so here's your punishment for here, and I'm going to have to call your parents. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So being punished at school, I could take, uh, but being punished again at home, it just seems so unfair. Like I didn't even know this was a word. I didn't know it was wrong to tell people that they were going to go to hell. So this was a crime of ignorance and the punishment did not fit the crime, but no one was listening to me at this time in first grade. So I went home from school that day and got off the bus and I was the most well-behaved child you have ever met in your life. (laughs) I didn't make a peep out of turn. I was very dutiful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Do whatever you need me to do. I'm, I can only imagine what my parents thought was going on. So at any moment, I'm about to get screamed at. And it just never happened. And so like the next day, I, I'm like still thinking about this so much. And so the next day, uh, I, I went to school. I came home. I said, all right, this is the day. They're going to find the time to get it. And nothing happened. And so I think like, I don't know, maybe the office is behind on phone calls or my parents haven't had an opportunity. They're just like waiting for the right moment to tell me that I'm grounded forever. Um, But it never came. And can I tell you, I am 26 years old, two decades after this event. And I don't know if my parents even know that that happened. And I've been carrying that guilt around for a long time. (laughs) And I remember periodically in elementary school thinking about it and just like 
that's the shame that I just have to live with. You know, like I just can never tell anyone about this thing and I'm going to live with it. I'm still not sure that my parents know. But um, I did get off the hook, but I'm not sure which is better, like just facing the punishment or living with that guilt forever, having to look back and keep this dirty secret. So um, I got off the hook, I think, depending on how much, how much weight you put on this guilt. But I think all of us have a story where we got off the hook. All of us, in, in some place, maybe um, you did something at school and you didn't get attention when you should have gotten attention, or you did something at home, you didn't get grounded when you should have been grounded, or you were in a situation where the police weren't called, but maybe they should have been called. Um, all of us have, to some degree, we all have those stories. Tonight, we're talking about how God saved us from our own self-destruction, how we he arranged it so we would be off the hook. And um, the question is, what were we getting off the hook from? So we're in this in week two of a series called Blood and Guts. And Blood and Guts is a deep dive into the book of Hebrews. So we're looking at the book of Hebrews, which is a letter that um, this we don't know exactly who wrote it for sure. But um, this person wrote it to people who were Jewish people, who used to be Jewish people that are now following Jesus. So they had this framework of the Old Testament and the old law, and now they're giving that up to follow Jesus because they decided this Jesus man that lived with us was the man that this Old Testament had been talking about. So um, the writer of Hebrews used this letter to make a very important point to these Jewish people that knew the Old Testament so well. And it's our bottom line for tonight. If you remember one thing, this is what I'd like you to remember. I won't have hurt feelings if you forget everything except this one thing. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And that means he's not just a replacement. He's not some substitute. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I think we can, we can look around this world and recognize that something is wrong. Anytime you turn on the news, on social media, you're going to see constant reminders that something in this world is broken. Things, the things that you see that make your stomach hurt, they make you just so, con you just can't wrap your mind around them. These are the things that are constant reminders to us that something in our world is broken. I think of what happened today, 18 years ago. And terrorism is one of those things that we look at and it, it's just such an event that we can't even wrap our minds around why someone would want to do that. How could that even happen in this world we live in? The world is broken. And the problem, in a word, the problem is sin. And the book of Genesis is a record of how our world was created, and it's a record of, of God interacting with people. And I took a whole three chapters into the Bible for us to ruin God's plan. Um, everything was perfect in the world he created. We had a garden, it was perfect. There was no sickness, no death, no pain. It was perfect. And there was one rule, and we chose to break that rule. We chose and choose to disobey God. And that's what sin is. That is when we, God has this plan for our life, and we miss it. We miss that mark. We miss the plan, the command, whatever, the guideline that God has laid us out for our lives. This is how you will have the best life. If you listen to these guidelines, when we miss that mark, that is sin. And we all do it. And as we've discussed in here, God can do nothing next to sin. God cannot be anywhere near sin because he is perfect. He is good. He is so much goodness that he cannot be near badness. So when we sin, we create separation between man and God. And we may think of ourselves as like pretty good people. That's a very common thing I hear is 
I'm a good person. That's going to get me into heaven. That's kind of the general belief. People believe, people tend to believe in God. They tend to believe in heaven, but when pressed, they will say, I'm a good person, so I'll probably be okay. But Paul said it right when he wrote, everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all mess up. Every one of us in this room, every person that's ever lived, we all mess up. And that's the problem, and that's why it's a problem, but what do we do about it? The answer to sin is always death and sacrifice, and that is the way that that's, the, the world works. That's the way that God designed this world. It wasn't designed for sin in the first place, but the system set in place is that the wages of sin is death. So in the Old Testament, it was, this is uh, before Jesus walked to the earth, the rules were you're, when you sin, you pay for that with an animal sacrifice. So they would take a sheep or a goat or a calf or a, um, a bird of some kind. They would take it to the temple and the priest would sacrifice it. And it was just how, how people communicated to God, thank you, and I'm sorry. That was kind of the basics of it. They would make a sacrifice to say thank you, a sacrifice of praise. They would make a sacrifice of repentance to say, we're sorry we messed this thing up, and this is how we get right with you. The, the wages of sin is always death. And that sacrifice of an animal would pay the price to reunite God and man partially, temporarily. That would get God to say, all right, this is... This is, we're going to start over and kind of wipe the slate clean, but constantly sin still plagued man. And it might seem a little gross to us today to, to think of taking an animal to church to kill it, and that's not really our context, but it was very regular in this culture. It was what they did. As often as, as regular it is for we, for us to go to church and, you know, sing a particular worship song or, or the, as regular as church is to you, it would be as regular to them to bring an animal for sacrifice. This is where our sheep friend comes from in the graphics there, um, which is a little dark, I'll admit. <laughs> that is the face of our, our series. But people and priests would sacrifice these sheep or goats or birds or whatever as a way to begin closing the gap between God and man. To begin closing the gap between God and man because these sacrifices fell short. These sacrifices were not the end. And much like the, um, the bandage they put on my plasma arm this morning, this was a band-aid for a bigger problem. This was a band-aid for a much bigger problem. Um, animal sacrifices were imperfect, they were temporary, and they covered sin partially. But our hearts were still sinful. As you made this sacrifice, it was just a constant reminder of your sin, and it drove people back to sin, and it was, it was just a partial sacrifice. So God needed to send a more permanent solution. And he did solve a more, send a more permanent solution to the sin problem. And much of Hebrews explains how that works, that the answer to the sin problem is Jesus. So Jesus did what animal sacrifices couldn't do. He did to completion what animal sacrifices were doing partially. So um, because they were band-aids, they were temporary solutions, but Jesus was going to be the one-time permanent fix for sacrifice for the wages of sin is death. He was going to be the once and for all um, price for sin. So Jesus died on a cross. He was the perfect sacrifice. Like we talked about how that worked last week, that he was 100% God, 100% man. In order for his sacrifice to be perfect, he needed to be 100% God. He needed to be 100% man. And he needed to be both of those things for his sacrifice to be perfect. On top of that, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We could never be good enough to pay for our sins, to make a sacrifice for our sins. Animals could never be good enough 
to be in the Old Testament, this system, it was just not good enough to completely pay for sin. It took Jesus, it took God stepping into creation and dying on a cross to get us off the hook. Now let's look at Hebrews to see what Hebrews says about it and prove that idea. Um, it's made very clear here. The writer of Hebrews says this. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and he has given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. This is what we've been saying. Jesus changed the system. He was the, this Old Testament sacrifice was just pointing for, to perfection. It was saying, this is what we're gonna do for now, but there's something coming that's gonna be better and more complete, more holistic once and for all. And then Jesus came to fulfill what the Old Testament was crying out and saying. Hebrews also says this, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sin they had committed under the first covenant. He's referencing here the priest would make uh, one particular sacrifice was made every year. It was made in the Holy of Holies. Now, this was a part of the temple that if you were to wander into, you would have big problems. Sin created separation between God and man to the point where we had this building that God dwelled in. And if I just wandered into that building unclean without making a sacrifice, you would fall over dead because God's presence was there and God could have nothing to do with sin. And if so, if I wasn't purified, I couldn't enter. And the normal person couldn't be that pure. So they had a high priest that would go through these insane, meticulous cleansing, a ceremonial cleansing. So he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to make this particular sacrifice. In fact, I've heard that they would tie a rope around him so that if he messed up his ceremonial cleansing, he wasn't cleansed from his sin. And he, they heard a thud in the Holy of Holies. They would be able to pull him back out. That is the, the seriousness of the separation that sin creates between God and man. Hebrews 10 says this. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. For by that one offering, the offering of Jesus, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. 
Here's the deal. We were once dead in our sins. Sin creates separation between God and man. And so when we live in sin without repenting, without asking God for forgiveness, we are, we are saying, I don't need you, God. We are saying, I would like this distance between you and me to stay. And I get, I get emotional thinking about what my life would be like without, without my decision to follow Jesus. Because I remember what I was like, and I was not a pleasant person. And maybe I was as a kid, but I would not have grown up to be a very pleasant person. Um, I remember how like self-centered I was and selfish and arrogant and I was a one-upper. Do you know those people? That like, you like talk about this one thing you got and they have a better thing. It's just like every time, isn't that weird? Or they have a worse thing every time. They're always one-upping your stories. That was me, man. And I, I just couldn't stop thinking about myself and wanting other people to think about me and how great I was. I would flaunt my successes and it was a really, really big problem. And those things might sound small, but when you think about the path that that would have set me on, I think about it. Because I, there is no woman as good as my wife that would have ever accepted that as a grown man. I never would have been able to love a woman the way I would have needed to, to, to have a successful marriage. So my personal life would have been shot. I would have joined the rat race of just trying to get ahead at some job. And I would have just, I would have bought stupid things to impress other people. I would have prioritized money and that probably would have meant I would have gone into debt and I would have destroyed my financial life and my career as well. Most importantly, I would have stayed too selfish, too arrogant to rely on God. That would have meant spiritual death. So that doesn't matter how my personal life is or my career is. If I'm spiritually dead, that is priority number one. And so I thank God every day that he saved me from ruining my own life, that he saved me from my own arrogance, my own stupidity and selfishness. I thank him every day for that. And every day I rededicate myself to him and I rededicate my pursuit of becoming more like him. And I still struggle with all those things. And, and the things you struggle with, you may struggle with forever. Something for sure will always be, be right there, ready to go back to. But the difference is today, I'm forgiven. And because I have given my life to Jesus, because he is helping me overcome these things that still plague me and, and become more like him, I'm forgiven. And that's the difference that I'm living today. The Old Testament sacrificial system um, it really is foreign to us today um, and re repulsive in many ways. Um, the vegetarians in the room might have a problem with us taking the sheep into the church. Um, I won't speak for them, but I imagine they'd have a problem. Um, us in this room, we just never would have been exposed to that culture. And we've just never had that problem. We have always lived in a world where Jesus was the way to escape sin. Jesus was the way to conquer sin. We don't have to deal with temporary, incomplete sacrifices in animals because Jesus paid the price once and for all. And again, that's reuniting God and man. And that's really important here that God, the God we serve is so great and so awesome that he stepped into creation and died on a cross to have us back. He couldn't stand being separated from us because of our sin. He got us off the hook. We created the problem, but he was willing to fix it. He got us off the hook. So let's talk about why this matters to your life today. So I'm going to give you three things that um, we can read in the book of Hebrews that in light of what we've read in Hebrews, 
This is how we can act on knowing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. First, we have to accept God's forgiveness. I think the church at times has been guilty of leveraging guilt and shame to make people modify their behavior. So, and accidentally, I would say most of the time. I grew up at times in a church where the goal was to be better, do better, fix this sin that you're doing. And while that is important, if you try to do it in your own strength, you will fail every time. Step one is to accept God's forgiveness. Step one is to get right with God. And things, the closer you get to Jesus, the more sin will just fall off. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you're going to make the wrong choices. So, This guilt and shame is not something that's helpful. I like to make a distinction between guilt and conviction. And I believe that guilt is from Satan. And guilt is something that um, we feel when we sin, we feel this guilt, but it's the stuff that traps us in our sin. It paralyzes us in doing wrong. There's also conviction. And conviction is from God. And that's that little voice in your head that's saying, hey, this is the right choice. Make that one. And conviction is the voice that says, hey, you got to fix this. You got to stop doing this. You got to start doing this. And that voice that gives you motivation to fix, to make changes, that is the Holy Spirit's conviction. That's the difference that I make between guilt and conviction. And you're going to feel both. So I encourage you to learn the difference. Shut down guilt and listen to conviction. The Bible says anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's how forgiven you are. The separation between God and man, when you have have given your life to Jesus and and you've accepted his forgiveness, it's totally new. It starts over. That's how forgiven you are, so much that you're living a new life as a new person. All you need to do to get that new life is to accept God's forgiveness. The second one is to give your life to Jesus. Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, um, we should daily be asking for God's forgiveness, asking him to take over, asking him to take control, to show us right and wrong, to give us the strength to do what's right, to help us to become more like him, daily making that decision. Jesus put himself through death on the cross to be reunited with you, to get rid of the separation between God and man. All we have to do is give ourselves to him, have a relationship with him. Again, it's not about fixing your sin. It's about having a relationship with God. When you do that, sin falls off. So give your life to Jesus. The third thing you can do uh, with what we talked about tonight is to tell somebody. This is great news that we have, that God saved me from wrecking my own life is really great news that I have. We have a solution to sin, with a solution to all the things that are wrong in the world. We have an answer. We have, uh, we have an answer to sickness, pain, and death. Sin is the problem. We have a solution. It's so important to tell people what Jesus has done. And you might ha- not have to start by explaining the Old Testament sacrificial system. That can be off-putting to people. <laughs> they may think that you kill goats in your church. Um, but do tell someone what God has done in your life. Do tell someone what he has done in your own life because this is life or death for people. In the, in the lives of the people we care about, this is so important. Without accepting Jesus, we are still on the hook for our sin. Someone has to pay and Jesus paid the price. We just have to accept that payment. So the people in your life need to hear this message 
And God wants to use you to tell them. He wants to use you, your story, to tell his story. So tell somebody. In this deep dive into Hebrews called Blood and Guts, we've spent two weeks in the blood. We've talked about Jesus for these two weeks, and we said that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, why that's important to his sacrifice, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and changing the sacrificial system. And the next two weeks are going to be about guts. They're going to be at how, the, having the guts to change the world. All right, let's pray. Jesus, help us tonight to focus on your sacrifice, to accept your forgiveness, to give our lives to you, and to tell somebody about it. Your message is so important. And tonight we dedicate this to you. We dedicate this message. We dedicate ourselves. It is all about you. It's all for you, God. So we love you. We thank you. And I pray you Watch over our conversations tonight in our small groups and uh, help us to not walk out of here without looking a little bit more like you. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this Apex Students podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope this message has mattered in your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. 